our podcast this week, we bow before the Queen's sister as the Crown's Princess Margaret, Vanessa Kirby, talks about Mission Impossible Fallout, plus the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that is so goddamn hot right now that we're currently watching the first two-thirds of Sunshine where the sun stops working and it is glorious. You know, they don't make them like that anymore. Blow up the sun, that's what I say. Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast brought to you by those wonderful peeps at Sky Cinema, the dedicated home for movie lovers. Later in the show I'll be pointing out a couple of movies you can watch on Sky Cinema. Just two movies from the thousand plus films that are available on demand on Sky Cinema including a brand new, nope, including a prep him, including a premiere every single day. How exciting. Now this week I am joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning, and I suspect that they beat a stampede to get to this uh, very pod booth because we have air conditioning. Uh, is that correct, Geek Queen Helen O'Hara? Yes, yes, it is. I have been sitting at home watching Fargo on a loop just to cool down. So this is this is the next best thing. Well, this is a much better thing. I'll be honest. This is much more effective than, is, than yeah. watching films about snow. This is so good. Is that, does it does it work? Does it, it does help? help a little bit. It genuinely, like if you watch a film where everyone's cold, it it genuinely does have a little bit of an effect. Wow. Okay, that's cool. Uh, how have you been battling Heatwave, Jurassic World star Edmund himself? Nick Dissemlian, he is also here. Just in case people don't know, there's a massive, well, I'm sure you do because it's, it seems to be a global thing, uh, but global warming is not an issue and not something we should be taking seriously. But anyway, we're all very, very hot here in England and we have been for some time. Nick, how have you been battling it? Uh, strategically placed ice cubes and shorts. <laughs> I'm and worried I will, about the conjunction uh, of those two I will take no things. further comment. I will make no further comment at this time. <laughs> there may be shrinkage involved. Shrinky yeah. Dissemlian. Yeah, now I'm wearing I'm wearing a shirt that um, I thought it's summery, it's sort of short sleeve, but it's uh-huh. made out of some kind of wool wool material, which is making me overheat. Okay, can I just say that this is uh, we always talk in the podcast about the fact that I do wear no trousers, and this week it's actually true. It is actually true. I am doing it in shorts, which is which is very very good. So there you go. That's Helen's big is intro it? sorted out. That's Nick's big intro sorted out, and now it is time for another big intro. <sighs> James Dyer is also here, which is nice, I guess. Hello, how are you? I'm I'm actually freezing the ac in here is very aggressive oh my god you ridiculous man you're never happy you are no. goldilocks you're, um, the, you're the office yeah. goldilocks yeah. what um, is what is the 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 feel what's the range of temperature that you'd well, be okay I with felt a little bit like when we walked down here it was like the last act of sunshine uh and the full force of the sort of solar inferno was melting my skin off and then we walked in here and you now it like seems to be the final act of the thing so you know at least we've got why a why would this be a bad thing a bad thing yes. it's a cold thing uh, there, there is a bad thing uh, there is a bad thing but like- also and I'm, and I'm not wearing shorts because I'm a fucking professional are you tackle out wear, no no I'm not I'm not uh, naked from the waist down I'm wearing jeans because I'm a professional and a grown man and I can't wear shorts to work that's ridiculous that yes well, I would thought that as well and then the temperature rose above 25 degrees and I just thought you know you know what? My pale, pasty Northern Irish skin, you all need to see it. And you need to see as much of it, it as possible. It is true. When you walked into the office, I thought they'd lit the beacon fires and Gondor called for aid. <laughs> you do remind me of Pinbacker from Sunshine. I, I've modelled much Actually, of my life on him. You're sitting there, you're, you're, you're bald, like That's Mark true. Strong. Yes. In, and you're, you're picking bits of flaky burnt skin off your, mm, of yourself. No, and, and, no. And, 
No? No. You're not doing he's that? He's not that hot yet. And, and he's psychotic. <laughs> well, psychotic yes, and murderous yes. and you may all die. Also, yeah. I haven't had any lunch. This is an important This is an important Excuse thing. Excuse me, that is a lie. No, okay. It's no, not a lie. To be fair, so, so the two of you... Twats went off to Morrison's without me, so I haven't had lunch, to be and clear, I'm starving. That include me. And so I'm slightly hangry. <laughs> and to 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 belay the You're inevitable, horny and angry. Yeah, the, to belay the inevitable bloodbath that would come from this, Helen graciously gave up her little her little biscuit biscuit bits, malted pieces, and chocolate snack thing, and that's been my lunch. Wow! So thank you, Helen. That was great of you. But when it wears off, someone's going to die. <laughs> Well, thank goodness we're not doing two podcasts back to back. Yeah, or we'd be yeah. good job. Trouble. We're not doing four hours of podcasts or anything. So. I, I hope we're not, because we've got this studio book for two. So. Oh, my understanding was that the our section of the Mission Impossible spoiler had to equal Chris McQuarrie's section. No. Shall we have a question? Sure. Please let's have, a question. have a question. Here's a question, and it comes from at P underscore city, uh, said I-T-T-Y, and uh, they, I don't know what their name is, asks, they asks, <laughs> what? Dear Chris... <laughs> what is grammar? Uh, <laughs> Dear Empire Podcast, it's been a great year for movies thus far. But now that Mission Impossible Fallout is here, the horizon looks bleak until Captain Marvel, which, as we all know, is out next year. What three films are you most looking forward to for the balance of the year? Tell me you have a plan that there's hope. Hugs and kisses at P underscore city. Mm. So, good question. Good, great question. Does he specify how many times we can pick Venom? (laughs) (laughs) Or she. All three, if you want. Or she. Or she. Or she. I I should check out. I believe it has to be zero times. Zero times for Venom. Look, you know, uh, we'll talk about Venom later on because uh, of Comic-Con and things... Uh, it, there were screenings of footage and stuff, and yeah, it's guy's head changed everything. Venom, it's Phil, Phil Salmon, Phil. So it's a girl. So it's, it's a girl. Um, <laughs> Short for Philippa. It's, it's a lady. Yeah. Could, absolutely, could be. Yep. So uh, we're still not entirely sure whether Phil is a man or a lady. So let's just press on and answer the question. So what three films? And that's to say with the balance of the year, so we're not going to go into next year, sure. which rules out a lot of the Oscar contenders because we get those in January or February mm. of next year. So let's talk about uh, what's happening this year up until December 31st. What three films? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously, we can't overlook The Meg, can we? We can't overlook The Meg, especially because we're seeing it. Is it next week? Are we seeing it next week? Uh, a week after next. Oh. In, the, in the Brockwell Lido. Yeah, where we'll all be wearing, presumably, you know, trunks. See, I... I won't. Anyway, um, <laughs> Helen is pre- preparing for the first nude screening. Yeah. yeah, so that's one of that's not really one of mine. I'll be honest. Um, okay. I, I'm intrigued by Crazy Rich Asians. I'm not sure if it's one of my top three, but I am. Yeah, but I'm what films looking are you looking forward, forward to, to Helen? Ah, yes, that's just me being racist. Peter Lou as a big old lefty. I'm I'm very much looking forward to that one. Widows is genuinely one of my three. That's yeah, very very high yeah, up on yeah, my yeah. list. Uh, I think it's going to be a fantastic film. It's an amazing cast. Mm. And uh, I probably never mentioned being on set, but I was on set and, uh, and, and I like the look of it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm not going to say Creed 2 because I'm going to leave that to Chris, who I'm pretty sure is going to say Creed 2. Um, and then there's uh, Mary Poppins Returns, which, as you know, given oh. the people involved, I'm very excited about it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and I hope we'll live up to them and indeed the original film. That's because um, Linny Manny is involved, he is. isn't we'll, he? We'll be talking about him in the news section, I'd imagine. So we'll get mm-hmm. to that in a bit. Mm-hmm. Will we? Yeah. Oh, this, God, this is exciting. Helen has taken a peek at my notes and found them to be wanting. So it's inserting her own news into the... No, of course we will be. We'll talk about uh, things later on. Yep. So one of mine uh, is a film that, until yesterday, was the TV show. 
Yes. which is the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the uh, the Coen Brothers uh, movie now, which is is interesting because it was going to be like a six part or eight part TV show. Now it's a film anthology of movies, I think, mm. or something. It sounds odd. So they went uh, looking for the best directors, and apparently both of them said yes. So that's, that's awesome. That's exciting. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. I don't know much about it to be honest, but yeah. I mean. Come on, Buster Scruggs. That's already yeah. a yeah. name that's up there with Garth Pancake. It's um, no Erasmus yeah. Brumble. In terms of Cohen names. Um, it sounds like he had an album out in the early 1980s. You know, like <laughs> Buster Blood Vessel. And Do you think he's friends with Lewin Davis? Yes, I would say almost certainly so. Or maybe uh, a distant relative somehow. But yeah, any any new Cohen's Brothers uh, movie is cause for celebration and excitement. And uh, especially now we don't have to wait through six hours of a TV show. We get the... You get the short version for people with, with short attention spans like me, which is nice. Yeah. My second one is Mortal Engines, um, ah. which I think some people are a bit sceptical about. A little bit. I'm not sure the trailers have been that brilliant so far, but I read the book this year. I really liked it. Peter Jackson's written the script with uh, Philippa Boyens and Fran Walsh. And it has Hugo Weaving and Stephen Lang as a robot. I mean, <laughs> I'm on board. And my third one is Bird Box, which do you guys know about that? Have you read the book? No. I have the book, but I haven't read it. Does that really help? good. It's Which really one's good. Bird Box? It's Bird a really Box. good idea. Um, so, the, so Nicole Kidman is the main character, and the okay. idea is something horrific happens, there's some invaders or something, and if you see one of these creatures, oh, you yes, go, yes, you go insane. So right. everyone has to keep their eyes closed. It's a brilliant book. I have no idea how they're going to pull it off as a film. I think it's coming straight to Netflix, but I'm excited to see if they manage to Are you to sure this it. isn't Skyline 3? <laughs> because um, isn't that that's the Skyline thing, isn't it? That they have the blue light, which makes you go all wobbly. James, please don't use such technical terms. You know we don't understand don't they do them. That? That's what the opticians do that as well. Yeah, they also yeah. do that. So don't go to the opticians. Yeah. So people ever. are ripping off Skyline Free and Specsavers. Okay. Yes. All right. That's what we're Spec saying. Specsavers the movie. That's my third. Um, yeah. Okay. That's good. My third choice. Oh, what to pick? What to pick? There's no love for Alita Battle Angel. I'm hearing. Um, um, I, yes. I wouldn't say it's probably not my three. I'm intrigued to see it. Yeah, I'm intrigued, definitely. Um, uh, B- Bumblebee is a, an odd curiosity on my list. In the, There's a part of me that's like, I, I think this might be a Transformers film that, you know, has a story that's comprehensible by mortal minds and uh, and it isn't terrible. And that, that I'm looking forward to. There's still time for Michael Bay to burst into I mean, the there is. take over yeah. as test- robot <laughs> testicles. <laughs> yes, giant swinging robot bollocks would be an interesting addition. It looks really good. It looks really it fun. It does look good. And I, I, anything 80s I'm, I'm, I'm on board with. So that that might be one of mine. Uh, so, at, so, at, so, quite, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> let's not be silly. I'm, um, I'm going to have a great time watching Aquaman. Are you now? Yes, I am. And you'll be alone. I know I am. Whether it's terrible or good, I'm going to have fun watching it, I think. The trailer for Crimes of Grindelwald made me curious about that. Like, it actually looked like they'd injected some magic and some fun into it, both of which were missing from the first one. What else can I say? Uh, the Predator is on my list. Yes, I knew it would be. Yes, The Predator is very much on my list. I'm very excited about that one. Shane Black. Black is awesome. Um, yes, you have done three. You have I, answered I, the question. I've answered the question. I think, what, what are your I think, three? I can guess what one of uh, Chris's is. What are your three? Uh, I don't know. I just listed a bunch of films and said at least two of them weren't on the list. Uh, Bad Times at the El Royale. I'm going to add that to it. And oh, yes, definitely. And then that, that, that's me done. All right. Okay. Uh, everyone seems to be guessing what, mine, what mine's going to be. Halloween. Creed 2. Uh, not really. No. No. Really? The yeah. Nun. I'm intrigued by Halloween, but uh, I wouldn't say it's one of the three. In fact, honestly, there's not a lot that's, that's uh, keeping me up uh, nights. Uh, Johnny for, English for Strikes Again. That's the one. <laughs> That is the one. It's, I knew a, it's it. a film title that's also a threat. Yeah. There's a lot of 
there's a lot of really uh, interesting looking films coming out this year, but the the stuff that has my real attention is coming out uh, in 2019. Uh, you know, stuff with Thanos in it and things that don't have Thanos in it, that sort of stuff. Uh, I'm intrigued by uh, David Lowry's new movie with Robert Redford, The Old Man and the Old Man, blah, 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 the Old Man and the Gun, which is uh, based on a, an article that uh, what's his name, David Graff, David Grandy, Grand, Grand, David Grand, Grand, David Grand wrote in uh, the New Yorker that's in a, a, an anthology collection of books and it's about an old man who's who was robbing banks his entire life and. Uh, uh, I think David Lowry is a really interesting director, so that's on my list. Creed 2 is on my list because I uh, adore the Rocky movies. Helen is correct. Well done, Helen. Five <laughs> points to Helen. Uh, Halloween scares the hell out of me. Uh, I really hope it's good, but I'm you know, on the fence in that one. And uh, let's pick a third. Let's throw a dartboard at my computer. Let's throw a dartboard at my computer. <laughs> let's throw a dart at my computer and see what happens. Neither of those is a good idea. First no. man? No. I'm really interested in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse because it looks like an animated movie that's actually doing something different for once. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the new Barry Jenkins movie, If Beale Street Could Talk. Quite frankly, look, they're all brilliant. All, all, it's Every day is Christmas Eve and I'm looking forward to every single movie ten times over and if I, you know, I, I, Venom, a hundred times. <laughs> Venom, yeah, let's go for Venom. But yeah, 2019 is going to be, hopefully, fingers crossed, oh, a good nice. year. A good yeah. year, so... Squeak. Yeah, but we get a lot of the Oscar stuff next year. And kind of, Do we? Yeah. I haven't looked at those release dates yet. So. Mm, I mean, I'll just very, very quickly run into January here just to show you what, you know, what we're doing. So January, because you know, Stan and Ollie hits in January. Hellboy, which is obviously the best picture frontrunner, uh, it hits in January. Glass, Mary Queen of Scots, Beautiful Boy, uh, which is the Steve Carell, Timothy Chalamet movie. We've got uh, the untitled Adam McKay project, which is... Uh, Probably the movie I'm most looking forward to that doesn't have a Thanos or a Mr. Glass in it, and that is the movie about Dick Cheney. Who uh, popped up on uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's new show this week. Really? Very funny interview. He signs a waterboard. <laughs> um, it's a pretty astonishing interview. What, the real Dick Cheney? Yeah. <laughs> and he's, he, There's a lot of dick pics. That it's, um, it's pretty funny. He does it, it all goes over Dick Cheney's head, but it's, um, it's pretty astonishing. That's incredible. Uh, February, we have the Joe Cornish movie, The Kid Who Would Be King. There's, there's loads of great stuff. So I'm very, very, much, very much excited about early next year with Glass and Captain Marvel and um, oh, that, um, mm-hmm. that one about the... Um, I don't know what you mean. The bloke who fists the Avengers. That's, no. that's what happened. That's, that's what happened at the end of that movie. Mm-hmm. So very excited about that as well. All right. So if you want to have your question read out as Phil Saman did to his satisfaction, then you can do so via a number of methods. We're at Empire Magazine on Twitter. You can use the hashtag Empire Podcast. Uh, we're on Facebook as Empire Magazine and you can email us as well podcast at empireonline.com Time now for this week's guest. She shot to fame across the first two seasons of Netflix's The Crown, playing the wonderfully free-spirited and capricious Princess Margaret. Uh, caught Hollywood's eye. She's been cast in Mission Impossible Fallout as the mysterious arms dealer, the White Widow, a.k.a. Alana Mitsopoulos. Should be the other way around, but anyway, most people call her the White Widow sure. uh, in this. Uh, she is, of course, Vanessa Kirby, soon to be replaced on The Crown, of course, by Helena Bonham Carter. Yep. Good, First pictures around. Good casting. Very good casting. Uh, and when she came into London recently to talk about Mission Impossible Fallout, I went along and had a good old natter with her about all sorts of stuff, including, weirdly enough, karaoke. So here you go. Me, talking to Vanessa Kirby. Please do enjoy. 
Hey, it's Chris here, just jumping in to say that I've since re-listened to this interview with Vanessa Kirby, and it is mildly spoilerific, particularly in terms of a major revelation about the White Widow. So, tread carefully. In fact, maybe best listen to this one after you've seen Fallout, okay? Anyway, here it is, me and Vanessa Kirby. Enjoy. Uh, we are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star of Mission... There it is! Mission Impossible Fallout! Look at that just helpful reminder in case just I in forgot case the name of the film was. Or who's starring in it. <laughs> Indeed, I am joined by the star of Mission Impossible Fallout. Tom, Tom Cruise! Cruise. <laughs> how are you, Tom? You good? I'm great. No, yeah, of course yeah. not. It's Vanessa Kirby. I've how, been how better. Are how are you? Good, good, good? Um, we've probably got the same... My voice is getting lower and lower. I think there's all those herbal <laughs> cigarettes in the crown, so... <laughs> Just different accents. Anyway, uh, how are things? Uh, enjoying, enjoying this this chunk of experience. I am. Yeah, it's been really fun actually to be with everybody again, and everyone's been really nice. And yeah, I yeah. always feel just lucky to be here. Because it has been a while since, or this film was filming up until probably last week. I'm guessing. Yeah, probably saw everyone last they were week. editing editing it four days before. Still, yeah, I heard in the last one they were editing it an hour before the premiere <laughs> and they had no idea whether I mean literally yeah that's what Chris and Tom told me so I knew at the beginning that I was going to be in for something a ride no matter what it, how it how it ended up yes um, we finished February February okay and it took a year yeah yeah and did things obviously that that was impacted by by Tom's injury because he carelessly smashed his leg into a wall <laughs> what's he doing uh, how did that change your role did it, did it change your role did, did things um, Probably. I think, um, you know, I know that Chris was really, in the end, quite grateful for that time because yeah. he got to edit and decide, you know, that always helpful in a way. I mean, reshoots are always helpful in anything anyway because you never really know what you have to see it all. So I know mm. it was helpful for him. I had a press tour to do, so I went and did that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I remember being Sydney being like, OK, this is, this is surreal. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, was there, ever, was there ever a time when we were, you were doing reshoots and you were doing The Crown at the same time? Yeah, yeah, I was, I was filming the series two at the same, literally at the same dates as, as this. I was doing night shoots here and doing day times on The Crown oh, at wow. the same time. That was really tough. That must have been A, exhausting, and B, was it, are you are sort of an actor who holds on to a character? So are you, if, you're, if you're Princess Margaret in the day and the White Widow in the night, you don't want those things to cross over. No, I was genuinely worried about it. I was, really, I was worried I was worried even the accent would creep in. Probably okay. did, actually, in some takes. Um, <laughs> yeah, the only difference was the hair. <laughs> um, no, it was a challenge. Because, yeah, I just wanted to make them really different. Um, but, yeah, that, it was quite challenging. Just had to find a different inner, inner life somehow. Does the name help? The name must help in terms of when you're creating a character from the, from the ground up and your character is called, obviously, uh, I, I believe I got this right, Alana Mitsopoulos? Well done. Oh, my God, well done, yes. There you go. I don't know who else would have got that. Well, that, that I know it's all I mysterious, had, had isn't it, because our brother's called Zola and they live in Paris, so you're not yeah. quite sure... What's going on? What's going on? But I don't know if that, I think maybe that's the point. <laughs> so it's Alana, but obviously known to the world and to the audience mostly as the White Widow. Mm. And I imagine the first time you're told that you're playing or you know going to be playing a character called the White Widow, your mind just erases with possibilities. And this is what I can do with this character. I mean, I asked Chris why, and he was like, "Just like it." <laughs> um, yeah, I, I suppose that she's sort of meant to be this sort of like. You know, he was wanted to be a slight throwback of film noir, sort of femme fatale type 
you know, he he we we reference Lauren Bacall quite a lot, um, okay. which I loved because I just love her. And uh, at the beginning, there was there was no there was the script was being written as we went along, so we weren't sure. <laughs> there was big, you know, plans for her to come back and fight Ilsa and to take everyone out and to die with Henry in the helicopter. And there was all these different yeah. versions of her, but actually, it just became clear really that her presence was sort of meant to be sort of disarming and enigmatic and a bit unusual and she's in Paris operating this big criminal network um, mm. and that is she sort of tarantula-esque in the... So that's what the, what the widow element was supposed to okay. allude to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, plus she wears all white and there was very <laughs> interesting costume fittings at the very beginning which was... I mean, literally, we were... <laughs> it was... It was... It was a, a, either Spice Girls or ABBA Mixed with Power Ranger, <laughs> um, mixed with sort of Maniac in a way, because okay. it was like proper white leather gloves and white, like bleach white. You know, it just looked yes. ridiculous. So, um, and I really didn't want to go down that route of playing somebody that was just like, you know, boss of this criminal, um, you know, underground arms dealing <laughs> network um, who was obvious in a way. So we, we, we tried to make her kind of weird. That was my intention to make her quite weird. And uh, you seem to be having a lot, lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I just sort of didn't want to make anyone to uh, a stereotype of somebody like that, in yeah. a way. Did you take a steer? You said uh, Lauren Bacall. Does, does uh, Chris McCormick give you homework? Does he give you films to look at? He did. Um, he gave me, like, uh, The Maltese Falcon. <laughs> OK, cool. Uh, to watch. And for some reason, I downloaded this weird one that was, like, some Amdram version of it. <laughs> and I don't. I watched half of it, thinking this is really shit. Yeah. And I'm really. I don't know how I'm going to go back to Chris. And and then I realised it was some. I was so, so embarrassed that it wasn't the real one. And then I watched the real one. And he just, you know, because he's like a proper old school filmmaker in a sense. You know, with yeah. the usual suspects and stuff. And all his favourite films are those sorts of films. And I love Lauren Bacall because she's kind of so powerful and um, commanding without using her sexuality or yeah. being eroticised in any way. Do you know what I mean? She's not slinking yeah. around trying to be sexy. She just yeah. plays the scene and just is her, and that was really inspiring to me. There's a sense that she's uh, amused by the, the boys being boys. Uh, in, in totally. And in a sense, she's got that irreverence and yeah. she's sort of that nonchalance, in a sense, that's, like, really powerful. Um, and, you know, I knew that Alana <laughs> would... <laughs> you know, it's just in the sort of Paris section of things and she's, yeah. she, you know, she sort of like is this weird presence in a sense that Ethan sort of comes up against. Um, and I also knew that in the ensemble of all the characters that had come before and Vanessa Redgrave is meant to be her mum from the first one. Yes, yes. So I use that reference in a way that Vanessa does, which is sort of be really playful with some really dark stuff. And yes. in a sense, it was an easier route. We tried some some ways of playing her that were like, just really overtly dark and powerful and sinister, and and actually that became a bit uh, boring <laughs> for you, you know, and for the audience, or for everybody. Probably everyone involved. <laughs> I think Tom and Chris looking at the monitor. <laughs> uh, if you hear, you know, if you hear some seds coming from the video village, yeah, that's bad. And some sighs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so we, uh, yeah, I just sort of tried to use Vanessa's um, idea really, and yeah. try and just. Play her kind of yeah. Oh, fantastic! I was going to ask you about that actually because I'm I'm just about to go into uh, do a a spoiler special podcast with with Chris McQuarrie, which we think may last for a couple of hours because he's a, he's I a talker. Bet. He's a talker. He is. He loves it. Loves, and, loves, uh, loves. 
And I was going to ask, I was going to ask him whether uh, the White Widow, whether Lana is meant to be the daughter of Max, but she is. So she is, that yeah. is, yeah, that is something. Was that was that was that something that Chris laid out to you from the beginning? Uh, yes, he had the idea of it. And originally, in the opening bit where you see her, she was supposed to. Well, I sung, I sung this big Nina Simone jazz number, which was the most terrifying thing I've done on any job <laughs> ever. I was honestly for months leading up to it, I was just dreading it, and I had all these singing lessons, and yeah, it was really, really horrible. Okay. Um, and then did it, and it was fine, and actually really oddly enjoyed it, um, and they became this big childhood fear of mine, um, which <laughs> good, was insurmountable, good. I thought. Um, and then in the end, it didn't really make sense that she was had this jazz number in the middle of a Mission Impossible film when Ethan's trying to save the world, and suddenly we stop <laughs> for this unknown blonde just just. <laughs> Seeing a jazz number and enjoying it too much and whatever. I don't know, so, everyone, so, everyone should have a jazz number in the middle of this movie. Do you know what I mean? Why not? I know, we'll yeah. show you the uh, the outtakes, um, <laughs> for better or worse, I don't know. Um, but in the end, Chris was like, actually, let's give her the speech where she sort of slightly alludes to, to Max and her mum. Uh-huh. Only a few people picked up on it. But um, Yes, there's some mention of paradoxes as well. Max loved paradoxes. Exactly, and that was something in the character that we wanted to sort of portray in just in the energy of her that she's um you know doing some really dark stuff and sort of loves it but also if we if if there'd been more space in the movie for her i suppose it'd been really interesting to we talked a lot about if if ethan and her had more time together Uh they'd probably recognize themselves in each other completely in the sense that they've inherited this position this job you know for they can't seem to get out of it there's no real escape so they're doing something that um you know, they both don't have a way out of, and yeah. actually, how that really impacts a human. And we talked a lot about the sort of like fragility, vulnerability, and the very young self inside those characters. But Tom has got to save the world. So it's not that much time <laughs> to talk about <laughs> Alana Misopolis's, uh, you know, yeah. inner demon. Um, yeah. So she just deals him some, some plutonium instead. Yeah. And it's interesting that Tom doesn't seem to know in this. Doesn't seem to make that connection between Max and Alana in this. Ah, in this one anyway. But, true. Yeah, unless it was a scene that was that was cut out. Maybe he was singing to you in jazz as well. In jazz? Is that how people say? But it's I'm being singing to you in, in jazz. jazz. Yeah. That's how I would describe how I did it because I really Tom's, know nothing about music or singing. Tom he's, he's He loves singing though. He had to sing on School of Rock, I think. I had the yes. same teachers as him who also coached The Weeknd. Okay. And so was on wow. tour with him. In the like, literally, that I was on Facetime with them. We we're like la la la, doing scales <laughs> as they were like one second, like going between us. It was really surreal. But they were Tom's people, so he he wanted me to uh, to oh, wow. have the same training as he did. Okay. And he's that he's really that kind of guy. He just wants you to, you know, always try and do your best. So Absolutely. it was a lot of pressure, but luckily the world won't see it. <laughs> well, that's what DVDs are for. Yeah, that's, that's, I know, I'm sure that will come up. <laughs> I've seen, uh, seen Macquarie say on Twitter there's going to be lots of bonus content, so... I mean, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot, that was cu- there was a lot that was cut out just because they made so many hours that it couldn't... Yeah. yeah. So let's say, for example, you and Tom Cruise find yourself down at a karaoke bar of an evening. Yeah. What's your song of choice? Well, I only know one. You only know one well, song? Well, I only know the song that I just sing in this. Okay. And funnily enough... The weirdest thing was it was the same one that I used for drama school auditions, so I knew the lyrics already. Okay. So that was a bonus. Uh-huh. And it's the only song that I know the lyrics to, all of them. It would be remiss so have to not be to that one endlessly. I actually remember years ago being at a party, uh-huh. being very drunk, <laughs> someone with a guitar, and I snatched 
the microphone and it was the only song that I knew and I, I went I did it on a loop for about 10 minutes and it emptied the room <laughs> and my boyfriend at the time the next morning went I was mortified actually I was really oh, wow. mortified yeah um, sounds amazing and it's the first and last time that I've sung since I thought you were going to say I snatched a guitar out of the guy's hands and then just strummed a tunelessly for ten As minutes. Well, that well, that would have been better actually, <laughs> I think, because I hadn't had singing lessons with the coaches the weekend at the time. So I'm sure you were um, just fine. It was it was ear shattering by all accounts. <laughs> What's the song? Feeling good by Nina Simone. Okay, and I remember. Chris was like, so Tom kind of wants it in the vein of Nina Simone. I was like, uh-huh, mm-hmm, got it, right, yeah. Not the person for the job, probably, but, um, <laughs> yeah, somehow we managed it. But anyway, it's not in the film, so... Okay, yeah. but uh, karaoke, you would do Feeling Good. I'd have to. Yeah, yeah. okay. What else would... You know, no other songs. You what? must know uh, other that... songs. I know, the so- I know songs, but I don't... Yeah. I couldn't do it with confidence. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'd be in and out, do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Tom, I'm sure, has his... Roster of you know, yeah, a compilation of things that he'd be able to sing. So maybe he only knows one song as well. <laughs> That'd be do you really, think so? just really one from short. The school karaoke. of rock. I know. We just do them on loop. That's it. That'd be amazing. <laughs> Three hours stuck in a karaoke booth with Tom Cruise. We were stuck in a car when a light went when a light went down on set. Okay. With Tom and I, I didn't know him very well at the time, so I just thought, oh my god, what have I got to say that's remotely interesting oh my to god, Tom yeah. um, for hours? But we chatted about movies and. I just you find common I grew ground. to absolutely love him. Hmm? Yeah, you find a common ground. You find we find a common yeah. ground. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, and it really made me realise just like you know anyway from how he operates on set, but then knowing how his great the love of his life is uh, movies and films, yeah. and he watches everything like he'd seen all of the Crown and talked about it really intimately, wow. which blew me away anyway. Um, just the fact that he'd have hours of his time to spare, I just don't see how he would do it. And he just manages to watch everything. He watches all the young directors, you know, to yeah, see yeah, who yeah. he'd like to work with. And it's that's staggering. pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. He just he, so knows his craft. He must have people watch it for him and they communicate to him through a tiny earpiece. Do you think earpiece. so? Through a, through a tiny yeah. earpiece throughout the that's, day. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. <laughs> when he's on the treadmill. <laughs> and she's in the crown and uh, she plays Princess Margaret. Okay, yeah, Princess Margaret. Get the name um, right. <laughs> get the name right, Tom. Um, do you ever get past that moment? I mean, and I imagine you do get past that moment of holy shit, it's Tom Cruise who has been the biggest movie star in the world for the last thirty years. It takes about two minutes, and then oh, you realise okay. that it's just the myths around somebody that's that iconic. You know, mm. are, are simply that. And the human being in front of you is just a man who's truly wonderful and generous and kind and lovely and absolutely loves what he do, what he does. And he just happens to be in an industry where lots of people are interested mm. in it as opposed to, you know, being a painter or whatever that maybe is more private day to day. You yeah, know what course. I mean? Of course. And uh, I've got to ask about there's a, there's a moment in the film I don't want to give too much away about about what happens to you, you and Tom, but there's a, there's a big old smack a on the cruiser. <laughs> there is, that was you our first one scene. On him. That I was know, your first I scene? Did. Yeah, it was the oh, first shit. scene. Holy shit, <laughs> I know. And it was very public as well, because there was like even paparazzi on the other side that were all reporting we were getting married, and that was the true confirmation, because we were snogging in front of the camera where crew. where they came from? Okay. Well, it started before we'd met, Because I brought a box of chocolates as congratulations. Have you? <laughs> no, I ate them on the this way This is over. actually, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that diamond. No, uh, 
it was, I mean, that happened before we'd started filming. Okay. I don't know who sat on a laptop at 3am desperately <laughs> trying to think of some of something to turn in the next day, but yeah. it was that we were getting married yeah. um, and it was serious. Uh, and I thought, well, I move very fast, mm-hmm. clearly, because I haven't even met the guy. Um, yeah, and we never, we never uh, even talked about it. I just felt really embarrassed. Yes. We never talked about it, so he was, that oh, was good. good. That's good. But, um, but the, then the, the kiss was the confirmation yeah. of it. But the kiss, I knew, because Chris had written a kiss, and I was like, okay. I don't know if this character would ever kiss somebody in a sort of romantic, sensual yeah. um, way. So I just thought, I'll just be aggressive with it and see what <laughs> happens. And luckily Tom didn't mind. Yeah. Um, I thought it might have been too much. No, it works. Uh, is, is she almost marking him her territory for, for, for future reference? Well, exactly. Future <laughs> it's almost, reference. It's almost that. Exactly. Ilsa yeah. sniffing around him. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, Tom said the other day, he was like, yeah, that kiss was like, you know, I own you in a yes. way, and that was that was fun because yeah. you know might as well subvert the romantic interest kiss, you know, in some way. Absolutely, and make it more of an attack. Absolutely. <laughs> Obviously, the crown is now sadly in the past tense for you. I know. How does that feel? How, how how will it feel when you start seeing Helena Bonham Carter? Well, I saw role? their um, their camera tests, and yeah. Ben is one of my best friends. The 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 director, yeah. he's just the most brilliant man. I love him. And um, uh, I was going past um, where they they edit the other day and he said, come in. And so I saw them all in costume. And it's quite extraordinary, actually, because you think, oh, do you think it's going to work just as, a pre- just as a concept? Do you think it's going to work? And then you see them and you go, there's something about the show which kind of transcends the world of it in a way. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it could yeah, be kind yeah. of like quite... Um, we always worried it was going to be a bit of a send-up, you know, a bit spoofy, you know, like... Yes, yes. Um, what's the word? Um, what's that word, that impression show? Oh, Dead Ringers. Yeah, like but that. there's another one. What is it? Uh, oh, oh. Spitting Image. No, yeah, okay, Spitting okay. Image, exactly. Yeah. But then there's something... They've just all got the essences of the characters. It's amazing. And Helena is so kind and lovely, and we text all the time, and we totally share this person in common of Margaret and we both have the same amount of love for her and it's really cool getting to know someone that is as mu- as obsessed, you know, because I'm, like, sadly, obs- like, weirdly obsessed with her. I just love her. I've got pictures of her all over my house which I really need to take down. With Margaret? Margaret, Okay, yeah. well, not with Helena, that would be... No, that, that would, would that'd be, be really weirder. Weird. Do you know what I mean? Like, that would yeah. be weirder. Picture of her all over my house and then, no, like, some super fan. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason why I did The Crown because I, like, preempted. No, but she's been amazing about it and she's, yeah, it's it's cool. It's such a gift to share it with someone. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess you guys all knew going into this that it would be a two seasons and, and or two series, as I stay British in this, uh, two series and done. Yeah, we always knew, which was like a blessing and a curse in itself. Because you thought, if it's crap, then I'm only in it for a few years, and then I get, then (laughs) then no one hopefully will be long forgotten. But then, when you just love it so much, it just becomes really special, and you just get more grateful for it because you know that your time is limited, and you know you just get to make the most of of just doing it all. And it's just the biggest gift of my life, and I will be always grateful. Fantastic. Well, Vanessa, I've got to let you go, but uh, just one last thing. Do you fancy a run at the Christmas number one with your cover of Nina Simone's Feeling Good? If we can persuade Tom and Chris to get it, to release it as a, as an album, right? Well, yeah. it would be on the soundtrack of Mission, right? 
Yeah, yeah. I yeah. would actually have my own single. Well, this is the thing. Not not enough blockbusters these days have their own. Because it used to be you would get songs and music videos accompanying, you know, Brian Adams for Rob Hood. All yes, that yes. It should have been you for Mission Impossible 4. It should have been me. That is... I mean, we're going to have to... Cancel the movie? We're going to have to pull it out before it... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because that is a crying shame. <laughs> um, I have it on my phone, though. OK. And occasionally when I'm very drunk, mm-hmm. I play it. <laughs> do others or just do yourself? <laughs> just to do you, myself. Do you, do you up just self-congratulating. Listen to really this. Drunk, sing along to it. This is the good no. stuff. I don't know what, I can't know why I said that, actually. It's only one time, you know, where everyone's <laughs> persuaded me. Um, but it's mainly because I honestly think even my sister was I mean she was horrified when she heard that I had to sing in this Right. she okay. was worried for everyone including Tom Why do you, do you have a bad voice? Yeah, should, well everyone thinks so yeah you can't have a bad voice I know but I had lots of tip training didn't I yeah. so I managed to overcome it for absolutely no reason <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah no I well not I'm not going to play it right not now not no reason Christmas number but one Christmas number I would one say play it's it, in perfect time for it isn't it we can yeah. generate a buzz around it and yeah. uh, the DVD get Cruise behind it Cruise you, yeah. I mean? you yeah. and Topla Pops Cruise is your backing singer that's <laughs> that crooning in the background you're awesome <laughs> thank you so Brilliant. much Tom Cruise Tom Cruise Tom Cruise we've reinvented the genre <laughs> Okay, so that was Vanessa Kirby, and now it is time to talk about this week's movie news. And we have to start with, I think, the hugest talking point of the last week, which broke naturally about three minutes after we put the podcast up last week, because James Gunn was iced, axed, from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 as writer and director by Disney in response to tweets that he had written in 2008, 2009, the content of which was unsavoury, jokes about paedophilia, etc., etc., etc. Now this has uh, this has uh, put the cats amongst the pigeons. It's set up quite the debate all week about whether Disney were right to do so, mm-hmm. and of course what happens now both for Gun and for that franchise. There are so many layers to this, aren't there? It's there's first of all, you know, how offensive were the tweets? Second of all, should it matter that, that they were ten years ago? Uh, again, third of all, like. Should Disney then, is that a sackable offence? And then fourth, should they be paying attention to the reason why all of this got unearthed in the first place, which is that it was a smear campaign by the far right? Christ, where do we even begin? Yeah, I, think, um, I mean, look, the, I think everybody agrees, there's no question that the tweets were, they were meant as jokes, I yeah. don't think anyone actually questions yeah. that, apart from the weirdo far writers yeah. who made the fuss about it. But everyone else knows that they were jokes. I think everybody, including James Gunn, would acknowledge that they're not good jokes, that they are offensive, they are bad, whatever else. So, yes, sure, bad jokes, offensive jokes, crappy, crappy tweets. I Mm. don't think anyone seriously objects to any of that. The question is whether this is something to fire him for in 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, Having done nothing like this in a long time and on the basis of a campaign driven by people with a political agenda who object to his political views. Yes. So and again, I don't think that's an, an issue. I don't think we can actually ignore the fact that this was driven by people who object to his tweets about Donald Trump mm. and that that's why this has suddenly become an issue right now in this era. So specifically, we're talking about Mike Chernovich, who's the sort yeah. of alt-right uh, 
well, essentially Pizzagate man, isn't he? He's, he is, uh, he's a conspiracy yeah. theorist. Yep. Uh, he set out to take down James Gunn and he used these tweets to do it. So uh, there was obviously malicious motivation here. I mean, the, the, yeah, as you said, the, the tweets were off colour. They were, you know, I didn't find them funny and I would certainly wouldn't make them on a public forum. Uh, but then you need to look at his history, you know, as a trauma filmmaker, you look at his output. He was a very... You know, he liked to push the envelope. He was an edgy, provocative person, and he mm-hmm. was surrounded by edgy, provocative people. And I understand where that humour came from. Also, it was ten years ago, and I think I do think people should be held to account for their beliefs and what they say. I don't think this counts as a belief. I believe it counts as a joke. But also. The internet was a very different place 10 years ago, and I think how you comport yourself online now in 2018 is very different to how you would have done 10 years ago. And I think certainly if you have heartfelt beliefs that you're expressing online, then that goes to character. But I think making off-colour jokes, especially 10 years ago, is something that you can be like, "Mm, really? But it's, I would say, not something you should sack someone for. And it felt like this was a knee-jerk reaction to a smear campaign. Uh, It was a response to the Roseanne bar Thing. That's what I think this has been a response to. And you can see it's kind of an all-out culture war sort of kicking off because they've gone after Pat Oswald in the mm, last week. Yeah. Yep. They've gone after Sarah Dan Harmon. Yeah. So I think this is this is quite a cynical um, thing. And Disney played into their hands. And mm. they, Yeah, and he has apologised. James Gunn has apologised for this stuff yeah. years ago. And Disney were surely aware of it. Yeah, they, they, um, you'd imagine they would have done their due diligence whenever they hired him to direct the Guardians of the Galaxy back in when was it 2012 mm. I think that's when he first apologised for, for tweets and for other stuff that he had said in the past I mean this is a, as James said he's absolutely an edgy guy he considered himself a provocateur he's a guy who, who wrote and directed Super which is one of the most nihilistic bleak pieces mm-hmm. of filmmaking I don't like that film at all and I've seen in the last 10 to 15 years there's clearly a lot of you know edge to this man as well but I think that also I'm not in any way condoning the tweets, but I think when comedians, and he will consider himself a comedian, he's not a stand-up, but he will consider himself a comedian in that way. When comedians get into that one-upmanship with each other, that, that it results in really, really dark shit. Yeah, no, just, just to address one thing that a couple of people came and suggested online, that this is that Disney has no choice in doing this, that with the deal uh, with Fox still on the line, they have no choice but to keep their noses clean and to react in the way that they did to this. Um, to, to those people, I would say that that's total nonsense. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. for a moment that this deal would be imperiled by the action of someone who is at best an employee. He's not head of the company. I, I, even if he was, mm. I don't think that 10-year-old tweets would threaten no. a deal that worth, worth that much money. And the idea that this behaviour is somehow beyond the pale, in particular in conjunction with Fox, who do make things like Deadpool, um, I, I think is insane. So, sorry, I, I don't think that there's a there's a, a judgement there, that there's a business reason for this. I think it's a simple overreaction on the basis of PR. And I mm. hope they'll do what a few other people did, actually, when um, when other there was a US journalist who I'm sorry I've forgotten his name but there was a US journalist who was fired by his network after the same trolls went after him um, on the basis of old tweets um, and was rehired a few days later I would hope that Disney would have the sense mm. to do the same thing here because I think they reacted um, very very fast without perhaps mm-hmm. enough consideration I don't think they considered there would be there would be a backlash to this in yeah. the way that there has been I, you know I certainly Publicly, it's been very interesting to see how the Guardians cast have been, have reacted to this. Dave Bautista is the most outspoken by mm. a country mile. He is raging about this. He's called it a, a cyber Nazi attack. He's been He's right. he hasn't held back. Absolutely, he hasn't held back on that whatsoever. The rest of the Guardians, I think, are kind of 
scene where the chips may fall. But Chris Pratt is one of James Gunn's closest friends, and he tweeted a, a, a Bible passage uh, from the book, from of, the James. book of James. Uh, which is obviously uh, a, a, an oblique show of support for James Gunn. James Gunn's brother, Sean, did a long thread, which mm. I thought was fantastic, yeah. about his brother saying, and, and I think this is crucial, and this is a point that many, many people have made, that James Gunn himself, who reacted, I have to say, with grace and dignity to, the, really to, the, uh, to the firing, uh, would say that he is a very, very different person than he was 10 years ago. And you can talk about the immaturity of someone who would post those tweets aged 41, which is what you know, he was at that time. But he would say that he's a very, very different person, that he has learned, that he's grown as a person. I think we all would. In a weird way, Twitter, I think, has certainly changed me as a person. Jimbo, I think we were talking about this the other day, that you know, it has changed you, mm-hmm. certainly. You're a very different person now than <laughs> you were when I when I, when I, I turned you, from the dark speaking. side of the force. People can change. They People can. can change. And there's no cutoff point on when you can change. And uh, I would hope that consideration will mm. be taken and mm. cooler heads will prevail mm. because yeah. this is really quite nasty. It all happened very fast. It uh, did happen because very fast. I think you texted me first saying something's happening with James Gunn. And I was walking around saying three at the time and... I was just checking on Twitter, and lo and behold, people were going, "Oh, you know, the, the story was breaking that he'd been fired." And I checked his Twitter account, which some people said he had deleted, and I don't believe he has. And he had posted a statement, uh, a thread, a five-tweet uh, thread statement, sixteen hours prior, about how he was a different person now, and how you say some things years ago, and maybe you say it for shock effect. I'm paraphrasing wildly, but that's essentially what he was saying. And then came the story. And I don't think anyone really knew contextually what he was talking about at that point. And obviously, he Lenny, Lenny went, he went away. And um, maybe then things accelerated. And then uh, Disney decided to pull the plug on him. And then I think they were expecting most people to go, yes, he said horrendous things. He should be canned. Absolutely. That hasn't happened, weirdly enough, because people are going, no, you can change. And, and forgiveness is very, very important. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, if they were to go back to him and say, all right, all is forgiven totally fine. Uh, tolerance and growth is actually a theme of the Guardian movie, Guardians movies, so come back into the fold. There's every chance he might say, no, I'm good, actually. And then you also have the issue of what happens next. How, where, how do they proceed? Mm-hmm. Do they get another director in? I saw Twitter, a lot of people on Twitter just going immediately Taika Waititi, uh, which, you know, he's making another film right now, guys. I don't think he's available. That's, of course, even if he were willing, which I, I would doubt. Yeah, I, th- I, I think I, I actually think if he was invited back, he would probably go back because he loves those characters. Yeah. Um. And but I can entirely understand why he might have concerns. But yeah, I don't. I I think it's too early to speculate really about who's going to take over if anyone. Mm. I I don't know. I, it's one of those ones that very much does belong to him. You know, for all its flaws and and its strengths, it's very much his baby. And and I have a little bit of trouble seeing exactly where they go without him. Any other any other last thoughts on James Gunn? No, only that I would say. I think important to bear in mind is like I do believe his creative output is completely irrelevant to the rest of this conversation. Like I don't like people say, "Oh, you're only defending him because he makes great guys." It's like that has nothing to do with it. It's taken on the balance of the evidence and also consistency. Like you look at uh, without <laughs> I'm looking. Helen's looking at me with her loyally eyes. Uh, let's say there are other people employed by Disney who have in their past had incidents which one would consider more serious than a few tweets and they re- they remain in employment. Uh, and I would say if you're not going... Where are you drawing the line there? Yes. Absolutely, yeah. There are, shall we say, problematic personages. Indeed. Well, yeah. 
Okay. See, when you said this was, you were coming up to the big the story that had dropped, I assumed it was the Frasier reboot. <laughs> See, <laughs> you say reboot, but he's going to be in it as Frasier. So it's not so much a reboot, it's just a continuation. It's like, he's like the Doctor, isn't it? He's had one transmogrification, this is his next one. So it's like Doctor Who, but every time he transforms, it's into Kelsey Grammer. Basically. Yeah. Wait, that's not like Doctor Who at all. Surely it's just a new incar- incarnation of the show. Anyway, I think yeah. it's a bad idea. Leave, leave Fraser alone. Yeah, and no. obviously Nick more sat and I, watched um, every episode of Fraser not so long ago, was, which means uh, he has to watch all of these. Shortly before I watched every episode of, of Dad's Army. Did you watch every episode of Cheers? Because I feel no, you no. haven't fully understood the yeah. Fraserverse <laughs> unless you've seen all of Cheers. I'm not, I keep meaning to. Maybe after Moonlighting. I've seen all of Cheers. Okay, how did that work out? Is that why you hate Frasier? It's, it's basically why I refuse to watch Frasier, yes. Why? Um, no, no, there, there's no, no particular reason. You know how I feel about, you know, comedy. comedy. Mm. Um, so, so anyway, I don't like to laugh. So Frasier-wise, basically, Kelsey Grammer is currently meeting with lots of different writers who are pitching their concept of what the return of Frasier could be, which is essentially you're in a booth for a bit and then you go on a date. Yes. <laughs> hey, sometimes you go antiquing. Not dissimilar to this podcast. Some, there is moderate antiquing. Levels of antiquing. <laughs> I, I like Fraser. I'd be happy to see it back. I think you'd miss um, John Mahoney a lot. Yeah, a lot. As Martin. Presumably the dog is not. Unless no, maybe they'd have... Um, presumably his son would now be an adult, so they could have the son in the sort of slightly mm. more down-to-earth role. Um, but as long as it has Niles and Fraser in it, I'm kind of... I'm actually... I mean, I'd watch it. See, this is But I disapprove yeah. of it as a concept. So apparently he's going around, and the idea at the moment is that all they have to work with is it's a new city, and you have Fraser Crane. See, I'm not so sure that you need Niles, don't you? you? Then, if you have Niles, then you have to have Daphne, right? What if it's Boston? What if he's gone back to Boston? Uh huh. And he's back at the Cheers pub. He owns the pub, but it's now a gastro pub. You know, someone's pitched this to him already. That's probably what. Probably, probably, <laughs> nope. <laughs> it's straight. No. If, if he doesn't like your pitch, Kelsey Grammer will throw a plate of scrambled eggs. And Kelsey Grammer knows his comedy. This is a man who knowingly signs on the dotted line to star in Down Periscope. So <laughs> he knows what's funny and what's not. Does he not throw the tossed salad, just the scrambled eggs? He'd scrambled eggs first, right in your face. Oh, right. And, and then, then... He'll, then he'll kind of just scatter some uh, tossed salad leaves right. on. And okay. that's how you know if he doesn't like your pitch. Wow. <laughs> there is exciting Lynn manuel Miranda news. <gasps> now, first he's up, married. there's actually two bits. He's, he's already married. Oh, okay. Uh, first up is the fact that back in 2016, before the cast left, before the original Broadway cast of Hamilton left the show, they recorded it. So this is up there with the Holy Grail, this recording. On their phones? No, like properly on on cameras and with lights and a stage and music and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and this this recording is now apparently... It's fallen into the wrong hands. No, it's doing the right... Well, they're they're trying to decide what the right hands are, basically. And so the the rumour is that it's going around, um, you know, Netflix, big US TV stations, etc. are all bidding for it. Uh, who will have the rights to show the original cast recording of Hamilton? <laughs> Isn't it due for 2020 to sort of really draw this out? I mean, it, it probably won't happen for ages, yes. Yeah. Um, they haven't even chosen who it'll go to yet. There's there's rumours of lots of money, obviously, being being up for grabs here. $50 million was ponied about. Um, uh, so, yeah, I'm sure it will take a bit longer. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's always been of the opinion, like, he wanted it, Recorded because people told him he kind of had to. He's been a little bit agnostic on whether or not he really wants it broadcast. Um, and certainly, it's not exactly a film version of Hamilton. That's there's a clear mm, yeah, sort of distinction yeah. here. 
His line at the time was always that um, he reckons that the best film versions of musicals are generally made about 20 years or more after the musical first appears. So he is in no rush to adapt Hamilton. He's only now discussing adaptation of In the Heights, which is 10 years old. Mm. So um, I don't think he's rushing a, a film version per se to I, the screen, but this I, might fill the gap a bit. I need this to happen because I finally wish I will finally get to see Hamilton. And that would be good. You know, tickets are available for No, because Lin Manuel isn't in it, so there's no point. That's not how theatre works. It is. No, it's really not. It is. But anyway. it's, it's, you know. Uh, the other piece of news that's really interesting is there's a TV series, a limited show, show run, uh, coming about Bob Fosse, which would star Sam Rockwell as Bob Fosse yes. and Michelle Williams as his wife and creative partner. Um, and this is really exciting because. We get to see is, Sam Rockwell dance for like six hours. And so this is this is a, the Muppet spin-off. This is not a Muppet he plays spin-off. The bear. No, Limon Miranda is one of the producers with Thomas Kale, who also worked on Hamilton. Uh, he was the director, so it is uh, a very exciting uh, time for all theatre nerds. Hey, yeah, you say that, you say that, and then we have Tom Hooper's Cats coming as well. <laughs> oh God! And now this is every day is Christmas Eve. Every day is Christmas Eve. But this is the, that present that someone has, has died and they've wrapped up the coffin <laughs> and they put it under the tree by mistake. I mean, okay, so what can we say about this that's good? A great cast assembled. I like cats. It, a cast has really? been assembled. I like cats. No, I like he the, means animals. the animals. I, oh, I, okay. I despise the stage. I have a question. Sure. Like, cats is one of the most famous like musical yes. theatre things ever. It, and yet everyone I've ever spoken yeah. to has said it's absolute shit. It well, is yes. unspeakably bad. I, so I actually asked Twitter about this recently when when the news of the, the new film adaptation came out. I said, look, people who like Cats, please explain to me why on earth you like this musical. It's terrible. Um, and basically the only real explanation I could get from anyone was nostalgia that they saw it as a kid, that they didn't care that it had no story or that it makes no sense. Um, and it's all about jellicle cats, which is not a thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it, and that therefore yeah. they have warm and fuzzy feelings about it because they thought that people dancing around in leotards with pointy ears was cool because yeah. they were tiny. Yeah. It has one good song. It has one good song. And that is, um, oh, I've forgotten now. Does uh, it involve memory. a cat? Hey, Bit of a joke there that for was you. hilarious. It's good. Uh, which is uh, sung by Grizabella. Now, Grizabella most recently, well, not most recently, but was recently played on the Western stage by Nicole, Scherz- Nicole Scherzinger uh, of Pussycat Dolls fame. And uh, I didn't really know anything about cats and I bought tickets because my, my wife really wanted to see it. We're in game. And we went along to see it and... Nicole Scherzinger spends the entire show just on the periphery of the show, just around, does a little thing in her little cat suit, comes out now and again. Oh, I mean, she's barely on stage. Barely thought, on stage, yeah. barely on stage. And then, then she gets to sing the song, it's amazing because she's got a great voice, and then she goes off stage and is not involved in the rest of the plot as far as I can tell. Uh, it's a load of bollocks. And uh, I, I, frankly, it's a dreadful, 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 dreadful musical and... If Lin-Manuel Miranda's idea that it takes has uh, at least twenty years has to expire between the original stage production and the musical, that doesn't work with this because a million years would have to expire would, yeah, it's for not. this to work as a film. Okay, but so I, I'm trying to be positive. There's again. a lot of negativity coming about this, but you know you haven't mentioned James Corden's in it. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, look, I'm actually going to try and bring some balance to no, the good. force here. It's good. I'm, I'm very to, happy. I'm going to try and bring some balance to the force. Here's okay. the good news, all right? Ian McKellen is in it. <laughs> is he going to be dressed wait, wait. as a cat? I just Presumably feel so... he's, the, what do you call the big papa cat? Is he Deuteronomy? Or, uh, yes, uh, that sounds right. Father Deuteronomy. Or oh, I'm no, a no, cat. No, 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 no
Um, <laughs> and the other piece of good news, I mean, Taylor Swift's in it, but the other piece of good news is that Jennifer Hudson would be playing Grisabella and therefore singing Memory. Great Pipes. Now, that's not a bad thing. Do we do we know whether this is going to be mocap, like performance capture? Mocat? Mo- <laughs> performance capture, or, oh, do we, or is this literally going to be Ian McKellen in a cat suit, like a sort of I hope pajama it's a suit? <laughs> don't know. I, 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 I kind of want to see it if it's the latter. If it's just these guys wearing like really cheap yeah. sort of you know onesies. Yeah, it, it, it could be absolutely amazing. It's got a great song. It's got a very very good cast, and I think. A property like this needs a director who famously has a lightness of touch. And Tom Hooper is perfect for that, as far as I'm concerned. Now, what else? Are you right there, Helen? What else is under the tree? I just started laughing for no reason. This giant, so smelly, coffin-shaped present. I'll set that aside for <laughs> it, it just for the time being. It's exactly the shape of James Corden in a cat suit. <laughs> But I'm still excited. I'm looking forward to Christmas Eve. Yeah. Um, Shall we talk about Comic-Con? Yes. Yeah. Many things happened at Comic-Con. We didn't get to go and see We them. didn't get to see any of it because we were here, but I we saw things we, on the interweb. I don't feel we missed that much, guys. I don't think it was a banner year, no. Hey, no, because uh, he wasn't there. Uh, Mark Ruffalo will hey. probably be at the 24th. <laughs> Great joke! Yeah, solid, solid humor. Was it? Don't encourage Banner me. year, Helen. Yes, I get it. Yes. Thank you. Yes, yes. Um, so, yes. what did we see? We start well. Okay, let's start with Grindelwald because we mentioned that earlier. Yes. Um, the trade. I have not been expecting a great deal from the Crimes of Grindelwald because mm-hmm. I did not enjoy Fantastic Beasts in the slightest. Did I? Um, uh, mainly because it was beige and boring and had nothing interesting going on. However, it did have an airborne Niffler and it gets an extra <laughs> star for that. This also has a Niffler. No evidence of whether it's going to be airborne or not. Uh, but it has magic and horses and things and stuff. And it had things and, <laughs> things stuff. and stuff. There were things and um, there's amazing things and spectacular things stuff. and stuff and where to find it and and, and young young Albus Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. Um, Albus. 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 Oh, sorry. I'm not on first name terms with him. You know. Wow. It's Mr. Dumbledore to me. Professor uh, Dumbledore. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, you're a Bumbleborn, more like. <laughs> wow, this has got derailed quickly. Anyway, the trailer was surprisingly good. So yeah. uh, my, my jury has returned a, you know, a verdict <laughs> so, of not guilty. <laughs> so here are my thoughts so far on this trailer. Um, uh, number one, I think they all have spectacular outerwear. And I think that Warner Brothers mm. is leaving money on the table by not producing a tie-in line of coats. That's a very Affordable, good point. but a, a little bit high-end so that they're nice quality. Because those things yeah. are gorgeous. I would wear anybody's coat in this film. Those are Not so in nice. this weather, though, you wouldn't. Well, not in this weather, not no. right now, but like generally. Maybe in the studio. Anyway, uh, number two, I think it was um, an interesting touch that they had uh, Dumbledore looking in the mirror of Erised and seeing <gasps> Grindelwald. Now, that's a nice touch, and yeah. if you know, as we all do, I think that Dumbledore is canonically gay, even though they never mentioned it in any source whatsoever, and intend not to mention it in this film, apparently, which I think is a, <laughs> a remarkable decision on their part. It's slightly undercut, however, by the fact that Grindelwald refers to him as Dumbledore and not Albus, um, which I thought was, again, a weird and and potentially a not tied-together decision. Maybe they're like Brooklyn Nine-Nine's Captain Raymond Holt and mm-hmm. and his partner Kevin. Uh, Dr. Kevin Cosner PhD because yes. that is their pet <laughs> that's their pet names for each other yes. is their full <laughs> names with titles and yes. I wonder if if Grindelwald and Dumbledore are the same way maybe he's like James he can't pronounce Albus yeah he gets maybe embarrassed that's by it. it so he just calls him Dumbledore didn't they used yeah. to make cheap tape decks on in the nineties yeah. 
something like that's, that. That's correct. So, yes. um, so I just thought that was a weird. I just don't think they figured out how to deal with that yet, and I think it's a problem potentially for the film. But I wait further, you know, confirmation to see if that's true or not. It seemed like Catherine Waterston had almost nothing to do in that trailer, which was slightly worrying, given mm. that she was almost co-lead last time. Um, but that may just be a trailer, and her her parts may be so plot specific mm. that we can't see them. Because my understanding is that the uh, the finished film will be a lot longer. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, yeah, Chris. That's, yeah. that's useful information. Yeah. Now I'm with Jimbo in this. I thought the first one was horrendous, and uh, but this one looks okay, uh, despite the presence, I think, for a lot of people, of Johnny Depp as Grindelwald. Grindelwald yeah. or Vault? Vault. What? Grindelwald. Grindelwald. Someone calls him Grindelwald, don't they? Yeah. It's, it's Grindelwald. It's, a D. it's said it's both ways. With a D. Um, the, the, the one thing I would say, somebody suggested on Twitter that he could be, he could take a fatally large dose of Polyjuice potion, potion mm-hmm. which which causes him to once again look like Colin Farrell, but permanently. Yes. And wouldn't that be terrible if that happened? I'm genuinely surprised they have not done that, if I'm honest with you. But um, but there you go. Hey-ho. Mm. So that looked good. There was a whole lot Ezra of... Ezra Miller was dressed as Toad. I just want to add that. <laughs> well, not was. in the trailer, but... Uh, not in the trailer, Comic- but, but, at, but at Comic-Con. <laughs> yes. Best, best bit of Comic-Con, I'm he, he remains yeah. a delight, yeah. definitely. Um, uh, almost uh, immediately after that, rather controversially, they had the Aquaman panel with Amber Heard on it, mm-hmm. um, which was a, an unfortunate piece of Awkward. scheduling. Um but Aquaman looks um, completely barmy, and like I say, I can't wait to see it. Um, it may be terrible. Yeah, it has it has a uh, Roger Moore seventies James Bond vibe to it, <laughs> it in particular it. the yes. double taking goat. But I, I you know, I am skeptical about this film. But at the same time, I watched the trailer. It's like it looks so ridiculous that I'm kind of on board Yeah, it. It's got people riding sharks. Well, I would like to say on Cat Brown's behalf, <laughs> formerly of this parish, um, that sharks can't roar. They, they physically cannot make sound. It's that we so know good. of. Okay, but the, like scientists have, have said this, Chris. It's a thing. Sharks cannot roar. It is not possible for them to roar. But scientists also say that climate change is happening in Helen and where's your proof? Well, I mean, I, I feel like it's right outside across well, the entire globe heard, at the moment. We heard I, this week, Helen, what you see and what you read is not what's happening. Mm. Right. Okay, thank all of you for uh, your fake <laughs> it, news there. Anyway, ha- my point is, sharks can't roar. They can definitely wear armour and I'm 100% in favour of that unless they're hunting me, but, um, but they can't roar. I think they can roar. I've seen Jaws, I've, I've seen Jaws the Revenge and it roars in that and that film is scientifically accurate across yeah. the board. Well, um, I... I've been waiting two decades to see sharks with frickin' lasers on their head, and, and I feel at least it delivered that. But, uh, it is. It's a film that basically... It's Dr. Evil's favourite film, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, but it looks absolutely dreadful. I'm, I'm not, I'm, 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 I won't go that far, but I will say that uh, whenever Justice League came out and they had that, those underwater scenes and they had to create bubbles of air around themselves to have dialogue scenes, and James Wan took to Twitter, and James Wan is the one thing I'm putting my hopes on in regards to this movie because I like him as a director. Uh, and he took to Twitter... To and guys, and guys, I know that it looks stupid. I know that it looks stupid. Don't worry. It won't look stupid in Aquaman. I have a solution. And his solution, as far as I can tell, just seems to be to present conversations underwater as if they're not underwater. Just have people talking and don't care about the fact that the water would actually make your voice... They have special magic voice vocal cords. Come yes. on. I, I do feel like Aquaman should have a lobster sidekick. and um, <laughs> Under the sea. I, <laughs> It just there's still time. I'm just saying, if anyone involved in the film is listening, please add that. Batman is better <laughs> down where it's wetter under the sea. <laughs> well, Can I say I learned a fascinating water fact this week. 
Sure. <laughs> the, you know in Saving Private Ryan where all the bullets go flying in and people get shot underwater? Yes. Yeah. That apparently just wouldn't happen at all. That's fair. bullets lose all of their momentum when they hit the surface of the water. And a guy, uh, and you see people, you know, often like a gun goes off underwater and someone gets shot. I saw a guy in a swimming pool got like a, a submachine gun, set it up in a pool, stood 10 feet away from it and fired it underwater. And the bullet just went, went boom, and dropped to the bottom. So you can't get shot underwater. Hot fact. Well, this is also useful any time that sharks are hunting me. So that's yes, really good movies to have you'll hear them to us. roar, Helen, way yeah. before you do, <laughs> <laughs> or cocking their guns. <laughs> One of the two. <laughs> With what? <laughs> Never mind. I don't want to know. Um, uh, all right, yeah. we've got okay. a couple. We've, I can't wait for the spoilers. Okay, for this but, but as disappointing as Aquaman was, Shazam looked surprisingly funny. Shazam did look fun. Mm. Um, yes, I, I think he, uh, Zachary Levy's reminded us how much we liked him in Chuck. Yeah, I think um, so. Too. And indeed, Entangled, and um, looks quite fun. He even had the walk. Of a teenager who's suddenly been made into yeah. a large person. He had, he had quite big know how walk. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like Shazam, I was more excited by the trailer for Star Trek Discovery Season 2, oh, which sweet. had Anson Mount as Christopher Pike. Oh my God! What, what a contrast um, it has been for Anson Mount, who was at Comic Con <laughs> last year with Inhumans. Well, yeah. And even then, when they walk, because we. we we invited them all into our, our little studio at Comic Con last year, and they were all there, all the cast, Anson Mount. Bloke from Game of Thrones, <laughs> the other ones, they were all in there as well. And even then, they must have known what a steaming pile of shit they were promoting. And what a contrast for Anson Mount. One year later, he's with a show that A, people will watch, and B, will probably be like. Could I say, people people don't generally seem to know who Anson Mount is. He was, of course, the star of Britney Spears' Crossroads. Well, no, hang on. Uh, but but <laughs> my favourite, and no one has he ever seen Hell on Wheels. Interest. He is the star of uh, AMC's Hell on Wheels as Cullen Bohannon. And that is a really, really great show that no one has seen and I think people should watch. And you will love him. We do have to bring great. this. We do have to bring this bad boy home because um, a Type Forty Five has once again mutated into a sloppy sixty. So let's uh, talk very quickly about what else. Um, I think we should mention Glass and Godzilla. Uh, that's exactly what I was going to mention. The uh, the last two trailers that came out of Comic Con that caught people's eyes were Glass and Godzilla, King of the Monsters, Michael Doherty's uh, sequel to Godzilla. I thought this trailer was fine. It didn't blow me away, but what did what did you make of it? I thought it was an excellent trailer. Mm. I actually thought it was the best trailer to come out of Comic Con. Uh, I would remind everyone that the first Godzilla film had an excellent trailer yes, as well. Did. So, But um, it was an inspired use of... What's the bit of classical music that was over the top of it? I think Ryan Johnson said whoever came up with that deserves a massive pay rise. Um, mm, I've uh, Sorry. I'd look it up. Claire de Lune. Claire de Lune. Claire de Lune. Yeah, I just thought it was incredibly atmospheric. The music really worked. Yeah, it actually got me quite excited. Good. Yeah, I, I like the glimpses of all the monsters. I thought that was really exciting. Muffer um, awesome. Yeah, really, really good. Um, but I um, ha- have some concerns about the plot. Yes, but, um, it's you know. Pokemon Go. You have to collect all the monsters <laughs> to save the world. Gotta catch them all. I don't understand <laughs> it's, what it's, is happening. It's a little baffling. Yeah, <laughs> I, but you know, well, hey, okay, sure, I guess. It's a really nice fizz, fizzes, which is my. New word for visuals. Yeah. Fishes. Gotta love the you know? fish. Gotta love the fish, man. You know, that that, that opening yeah. shot of Eleven from Stranger Things uh, on top of the, the building and all the smoke comes in and she's like, ah, and runs away from it. Mm-hmm. That's good, fish. And then you have uh, the <laughs> shot of, I think it's the Vatican, Rome's been blowing up. 
but they leave just that one landmark intact just to let you know what, what city it is. Another great fish. It always reminds me of that line in Clyde with the Chance of Meatballs where the weather phenomenon is attacking all the world's um, most iconic <laughs> buildings first. Yeah, that's very funny. So we like I, that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've got concerns about the human characters in, in that film. There I are human where, characters? <laughs> that's where the first one fell down. Is All the monsters were, they nailed those, but the humans were really. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they have an incredible cast. Like, if if you saw that cast as the lineup of an indie movie, you'd be like, "Hey, that's pretty cool." Not yep. saying it's the acting, the, yeah. the characters, just yeah, the, the you no. Know. You're absolutely right. Kyle Chandler, Vera yep. Farmiga, yep. Sally Hawkins, mm-hmm. Ken Watanabe, Godzilla. Board. That is the greatest indie movie ever. I'm absolutely buying on board for that, as I am indeed for M Night Shyamalan's Glass, which uh, sees Sam Jackson and Bruce Willis return to the roles they played in Unbreakable all those years ago, and adds James McAvoy and Anya Taylor-Joy so split good. for good measure. Mm-hmm. And the plot of this one is interesting. It seems to be that David Dunn and Elijah Price, a.k.a. Mr. Glass, are now incarcerated in a psychiatric institution. Very roomy along, one. A very roomy one, along with uh, Kevin Wendell Crumb, played, of course, by James McAvoy. And uh, they are at the mercy of Sarah Paulson's surely sinister, Super sinister. psychiatrist. And uh, yeah, I'm excited about this one. I really like this. I did have one question, though, that she mentions that she is a psychiatrist whose remit is specifically people who claim to have superpowers. I don't believe Mr. Glass <laughs> claims to have superpowers. And if he does, mm, he's it's just a really bit shit one. I fall apart, literally. Well, he, I think he claims to be a supervillain. Yeah. Yeah. Lex but, Luthor type. But without yeah. being super. Well, I mean, is a fi- is a level five um, IQ super? I mean, he's, he's saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a professional bell end. That's my that's my thing. I guess. Anyway, uh, also, that's, I think that's a hell great. of a thing to specialize in, isn't it? When it comes to glass, I'm a glass half full guy, and uh, <laughs> I I'm excited about this. It still hasn't got a UK release date. January. It has got it a UK has release got, date. It has got a January release date. Yes. Okay. All right. It is. Bring it on. It's out in Jan. Very, very excited indeed. Right, that's enough of that. I'm just going to quickly answer this. Oh, God. What? Oh, uh, I'm about to get a, a, the second question on HQ wrong. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh my God. I can't believe you're doing it as well. You are dreadful. I was about to call Nick out for being an HQ twat, and you're doing it too. I think I've just got it wrong. Okay, so that's the uh, news. Yeah, I've literally just got the second question wrong on HQ. That is the news uh, part of the show over, and now it's time to hear me talk about Sky Cinema. Thanks, Chris. Great link. As you know, this week's podcast is sponsored by Sky Cinema, which gives you unlimited access to the best movies at home, whenever and wherever you want, in the best possible way. I've been a Sky Cinema subscriber for many years now, and I love the choice they offer. They have over a thousand quality movies on demand, ready for me, or you, to enjoy whenever I, or you, want. My first recommendation this week is new to Sky Premier HD this weekend. It's the wonderful British movie Daphne, starring Emily Beecham in a star-making turn, if there's any justice that is. This is a low-budget, slow-burn character study about the eponymous Daphne, a 31-year-old London singleton who finds herself re-evaluating her devil-may-care approach to life after seeing a man get stabbed right in front of her. A beautifully observed character study. Beecham didn't write the screenplay, but she did develop the character with the director, Peter Mackey Burns, and clearly knows Daphne and her many foibles inside out. This is wonderfully acted and well worth a look. The Sky Cinema Animation Collection is still going great guns, so all hail Moana, my second choice this week. The tale of a young Polynesian princess who teams up with Dwayne Johnson's demigod Maui to seek adventure on the high seas. It's got pretty much everything. It's got great dialogue, memorable characters, 
cracking music courtesy of Lin Manuel Miranda, superb fishes, and a daft chicken. And most movies don't even have a chicken, let alone a daft one. So Moana definitely wins out. So there you go, my two recommendations this week on Sky Cinema, Daphne and Moana. And join me next week for more Sky Cinema-related fun. Now it's back to you in the pod booth, Chris. Okay, so that was me talking about Sky Cinema. Now it's time to talk about this week's major releases. There is, of course, one big behemoth in town, and it is Mission Impossible Fallout, the return of Ethan Hunt as super IMF agent Tom Cruise. (laughs) I realised I got that wrong halfway through, but I just thought I'd style it out. Uh, This is a really, really cool film. Lots of uh, intrigue, drama, and some great fishes. Uh, Helen, talk stop, us through it. Stop trying to make vision. Um, yeah, so this is uh, this sees Ethan Hunt and his team uh, slightly fumble a mission, which very rarely happens, but occasionally does, and then they have to basically deal with the <clears throat> fallout oh! from that fumble. That's right, um, by re-securing a bunch of nuclear weapons before they can go off, hopefully, um, and if not, at least finding the perpetrators of the wrongdoing. Um, so this uh, this mission takes them to many many exciting cities, um, and um, which I won't really. I mean, you can see them in the trailer. There's London and Paris for two, um, and uh, in, into the web of the White Widow, the aforementioned Vanessa Kirby. They, it also mm-hmm. sees them forced team up with the CIA. Now, obviously, what? the CIA were kind of the I don't want to say bad guys, but certainly antagonists a little bit in uh, in Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol at the beginning. But Alec Baldwin's character was won over. He became head of the IMF. Rogue Nation, um, yeah. In, sorry, in Rogue Nation, yes. Um, and uh, and n- but now they're they're dealing with other problems from the CIA, specifically Henry Cavill's character. Yes. Now this is a movie in which people do have of names, but yeah, I would absolutely like. Uh, I'm, I'm blanking on him. No, but it's, it's <laughs> Alan Hunley and August Walker. But it's the sort of movie where you could go. Ali Baldwin's character. Yeah. If that was his character name, you wouldn't balk. No, you'd be fine. You'd be like, it's totally fine. Sure. It's a guy called Alec Baldwin's character. I'm okay with that. I'm on board. Anyway, so Cavill's Walker, Agent Walker? August Walker. August Walker. Um, is, is, is basically foisted upon Ethan Hunt as his partner and they have to work together to find the baddies. And, you know, I'll be honest, their heads are going to clash, which is impressive because, like... Henry Cavill's like a <laughs> And he's got a massive tash massive as well. Massive tash. The tash does play an incredibly important part of the narrative and I'm glad they kept it. Uh, so what do we think of the film overall? And we are going to be talking about this movie in much, much greater detail, of course, in the complicated, multi-part Mission Impossible Fallout spoiler special, which I will discuss uh, in detail once we finish this. But what do we think of this overall? Are we on board? Are we happy? Yes, I thought this was very good indeed. I enjoyed it enormously. I thought this had more action in it than the last 10 Bond films combined and was probably better than the more combined as well. I thought this was great. Um, like I've always enjoyed the Mission films, but they've always been quite like, yeah, you know, I enjoyed them, but I don't rave about them. But I watched this film and I just came out of it and I was exhausted. Like, so many action set pieces, so incredible incredibly shot and incredibly staged to the point where, you know, I was like, I genuinely don't know how they did half of them. And I'm I'm either CGI has gone to levels that I was unaware of or Tom Cruise is insane or... I think the latter. I think it is, in fact, the latter. But some of the stuff in there, like the motorbike chase is absolutely mental. The fight in the bathroom is fantastic as well uh, with Henry Cavill's fantastic reloading arms. Really, really like this. Now, in terms of where this falls in terms of the best Mission Impossibles, what are your thoughts? Favourite for me. You think it's the best? Yeah, Chris? I think it's up there. Up there. I, I would say that it. I, I still think that Rogue Nation is the best one, and this is uh, 
fighting with the first one for me. Interesting. I, I think this. I think this is an absolutely terrific piece of uh, action filmmaking. Uh, I, I, there might be something slightly more elegant, slightly more clean about Rogue Nation that I that, that, I, that I prefer. Well, but we- this is this is. One of the most intense blockbuster experiences I, I, I've had in a long time. That you know, going into a Mission Impossible movie with Ethan Hunt, that you know that there's a very good chance that Tom Cruise will emerge unscathed from his numerous skirmishes mm-hmm. and scrapes. But it is extraordinary how intense and how sweaty these set pieces are. <laughs> and how, yeah, how it very makes you forget sweaty. that. It has the greatest uh, toilet-based battle sequence since <laughs> True Lies, which is something I don't say lightly. <laughs> and uh, it's just so confident. And, and the different types of action. You never get tired, yeah. you yeah. never get yeah. exhausted. It's not that Transformers thing of just the same thing over and over again. You know, he it's confident enough to just throw an amazing skydiving sequence and then suddenly you've got a big punch-up and then everything is different. It's like every yeah. flavour of action you can imagine. Um, and it is relentless, but in a really good way. Like, I didn't get <clears throat> bored at all. Yeah. No, I really, really enjoyed it. And As in, I would say, probably the film I've enjoyed most this summer. Genuinely. Me too. Yeah. Uh, it, Infinity War, yeah. yeah it's, well, it's, that's it's, not, yeah. Is that summer? Is Infinity War summer? Yeah, it kind of is. It's it's summer early. season. It's, summer it's season. Okay, the summer fine. season, but yeah. yeah second only to that then. April. But it has yeah. a similar quality to Infinity War in terms of the relentlessness and the drive and the just the propulsion of it. Yeah. Um, and, and the scale, like in terms of mm, taking mm-hmm. up a scale from what we've seen before. Because I, I rewatched Rogue Nation and Mission One last night, and I mm. think this is, I think this is definitely as as good as either, and it might be better than both for me. Mm. Yeah, I rewatched Rogue Nation this week, and I definitely prefer this. I understand what Chris is saying. I think Rogue Nation is cleaner, uh, and certainly the plot through line is maybe a touch more sophisticated. But this one is just insane, and from an action point of view, it's night and day. Like this one is vastly superior. I thought in terms night of and day was rubbish. Um, <laughs> but, um, sorry, but no. I, I, in terms of like set piece, I still think Ghost Protocol, the uh, the Burj Khalifa sequence has has the best visages. Um, no, no. Like, no. Just mate, stop. No, mate, you're wrong, mate. You've embarrassed yourself. Uh, the, the the best fish in the uh, Mission Mish no. Pulse uh, uh, franchise is the Silent Heist in the first one. And that's probably still weirdly been unsurpassed. Not just because it has Rolf Saxon as CIA operative William Donlow uh, puking into a bin. I was watching that last night and um, and I have, I have a major problem with it that I hadn't ever noticed before. Is that the floor is super shiny. And, yeah. and Ethan Hunt would clearly be visible in the floor. Oh. And he often has his head down. And he would see the moving shadow of Ethan Hunt on the floor 100%. If you watch that scene again, you're saying they've it got Death Star floors. It, it's, it's shinier even than that. It's a mirror. That floor. But the point of that scene is that uh, Rolf Saxon, a CIA operative, William Donlow, is not the sharpest tool in the box. <laughs> and so. I feel like if he saw a guy reflected in the floor, <laughs> he would probably have the wit to look up. He's probably as, as, as sharp as me, and I just went out of HQ on the second question. So like while dogs. we were doing this, incidentally. <laughs> He's like a dog. He can't look up. Um, <laughs> that's pretty established in, in the he, canon. But um, yeah. no, I, for me, it's still the skyscraper sequence. I'm sorry. I just think that is is maybe one of the greatest action set pieces of all time. I love the first one. I love that scene you're talking about. But um, but this one doesn't quite have something as grand as that. But This one is weirdly uh, in a way that it, it kind of issues some of the trademarks of the series and leans into others in a really interesting way. Uh, I won't give away. We're going to talk about it in the spoiler special yeah. in about five minutes' time. So I thought this movie was absolutely terrific. Helen gave it five stars. I think none of us here would quibble with that. 
happy days five stars uh, and yes you are probably wondering what's going to happen with the spoiler special uh, some people may know who listened to it the uh, Rogue Nation spoiler special with Chris McQuarrie was an epic clocking in at just under well just over two and a half hours and uh, yes we are going to beat that with the <laughs> Fallout spoiler special part one is going up on Monday that's me and Chris McQuarrie in a hotel room in London and that's just going to be under three hours three hours <laughs> Good Lord. Part two, which is me and Chris McQuarrie in a hotel room in Los Angeles, will be up the week after that. I'm flying out to LA next week because uh, even though we did three hours, in Chris McQuarrie's own words, it felt incomplete. (laughs) And we're going out to finish that, finish the job, finish the job, James, for England. Uh, So the second part of that, which is going to be at least two hours long, will be up the Monday afterwards. Uh, So if you want to listen to Chris McQuarrie talking in great detail about Mission Impossible Fallout, those are the podcasts for you. Meanwhile, we'll be recording our own trifle of a podcast. We've only got about 45 minutes in which to do it uh, about uh, Fallout. And that may either be bolted on to the second part of the Macquarie one or it may be released as its own separate thing. Let us know. Tell us what you think. Uh, And while we're here plugging stuff, I should point out that our next live podcast is coming up as well. We're going to be doing another podcast at the London Podcast Festival. We're going to be playing on the uh, Friday, the evening of September 7th. Tickets are available right now, kingsplace.co.uk, just £12.50. And if you buy tickets to us and two other shows as well at the London Podcast Festival, which has a stellar lineup this year, you will get a discount of around 15%, I believe. So... Can't say fairly that, and uh, look out for more information as that show goes. But yes, tickets are going, and I believe they're going pretty fast. So get on it. Get on it, people. Come and see us live. And next up, we have a small British movie called Apostasy. Helen, take us through this one. Yeah, this is about uh, a family of Jehovah's Witnesses, um, so two daughters and a mum. And um, basically, it's about sort of dealing with the competing demands of the, the church and their beliefs and their own desires, I guess. So the daughters basically, um, or one of the daughters rather, is sort of tempted away from the faith and yeah, they are they are ordered to basically, uh, I think it's called disfellowship her, um, which means she's not supposed to have contact with the rest of her family until she sort of comes back and embraces the faith. Um, and obviously that causes you know, some strain for all three of them um, in what had previously been a very close-knit relationship. So it's a, it's a small scale, um, beautifully focused uh, in the sense of, you know, emotionally focused, story focused uh, on these three women in particular and on the world around them. It's not unsympathetic, I think, to to the religion, to the belief. Uh, I think it's it's quite a balanced mm. look, um, but it is um, it is pretty devastating at the same time. So, um, so yeah, really, really good. But this is the debut film from the director whose name is Daniel Kokotayo. Uh, apologies if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um, but I think on, on the basis of this, um, he's going to be somebody to really keep an eye on going mm. forward. We gave this, I think, four stars. Four stars. Yeah. Four stars for apostasy. So check that out this weekend as well, if you can. Uh, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week. Well, say us. It may not be me because, you know, I'm away. But join Helen, Hello. certainly. That's for sure. And Jimbo. He'll be here again. I will. Just can't keep him out. Uh, join them next week for more film-related fun. Well, they'll be joined by... <laughs> Somebody. Somebody. We have a guest? Mm, not technically. Right. Not yet. <laughs> I'm well, on it. I'll be your guest, Chris. Sure, James. Yes. Thank you. When our guest will be James Dyer. <laughs> That'll pack Here the to talk in. a load of shit about stuff that's just popped into his head. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's basically it. Until that auspicious occasion, uh, it is goodbye 
from James Dyer. Goodbye. It See is... you next week. <laughs> it's a goodbye from Nick Desemlian. Great fish. No. Bye. It's a goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. And it's a goodbye from me. I'm off to make fish happen. Nick, you ready? Thanks for make fish happen. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>